Hi, everyone. This is Star Jerry's with The Creative Strategist. Thank you again for coming on and listening to today's episode. I have a good one for you all. I am so excited. Miss Jeannie Kim is coming on the show. Jeannie is incredible. She handles Dean's grants and academic resource for Riverside City College, and she just got a big old promotion. So in a couple weeks, she's going to take on a new gig as the Associate Vice Chancellor of Grants and Economic Development for Riverside Community College District. She has her own nonprofit providing a fun Saturday program for disabled kids and adults. She's a cultural anthropologist focused on organizational culture, leadership, and change. That's ecological, economic, and cultural change. She consults mainly for nonprofits and educational institutions and coaches her clients to develop innovative ideas in areas like product development, strategic planning, student success, and more. Oh, and she acts as an advisor and or board member for, let me count, four organizations. She's also a mother of three and a volunteer, you know, in all her spare time. Today, Jeannie and I are going to talk about nonprofits. Now, we could have a whole podcast just about nonprofit organizations, but we only have an episode to start, so we're going to focus our efforts on how to make sure you are putting your best foot forward to get the resources you need and to manage those resources properly. Now, I thought Jeannie's expertise with grant writing, amongst her many other strings, and organizational leadership would be really interesting points to dive into with all of you listening today. So a lot of people know what grants are, and if you don't, don't worry, we will get to that, but a lot of people don't know how to write them. If you are interested in working at a nonprofit, they will love, love, love that you have grant writing experience or just some base knowledge of grants in general. Okay, so one last thing before we get into Jeannie's episode, I just want to take a moment to ask you all if you're loving this content, if you like listening to The Creative Strategist, if you really feel like you're getting something out of this, please take a moment. You can pause this episode right now and write a positive review for me on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, I love getting your positive reviews. They really, really just get me excited keep me motivated, and they really help boost visibility of the show and allow us to get great guests on the show like Jeannie. Okay, with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Here is Jeannie Kim. You're listening to The Creative Strategist. I'm your host, marketing and sales expert, Star Jerry's, and I'm here to help you use storytelling, design, and entrepreneurial thinking to develop your brand's voice, boost sales, and stay relevant in an ever-changing marketplace. Join in on my conversations with seasoned professionals and take away best practices to help you forge ahead in your career. Again, I'm Star Jerry's, the creative strategist. Let's get started. Well, I'm so excited to have you on, and I know you have so much going on, so just that I get to sit down with you for a little bit and ask you these questions with all your background and all your expertise is so, so exciting. So thank you. Well, I'm very happy to be on. I'm glad we were finally able to make this work. 
Yes, yes. And you've been so awesome with my schedule. So I know things have been kind of crazy, but I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, if I could just dive right in, I was going to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about you. Who is Jeannie Kim? And how did you get started in nonprofits? And then kind of a little bit about what you're working on now. Yeah, so um, I've been involved with nonprofits for a really long time, um, ever since my college days, actually probably even back into high school days. But it was because I was really interested in doing um, volunteering for the most part and wanted to just be able to contribute to society. Um, Little did I know back then that it was going to turn into part of my career. Um, But primary reason why I was involved with nonprofits is because as a higher education administrator, I was actually setting up community service opportunities um, for students. And I did this actually as a um, college student as well at UCLA when I was there. Um, I was elected into um, a community service position and basically set up um, community service opportunities for thousands of UCLA students um, so that we could actually be um, more valuable to our community. Because back then people were like, oh, you're a child of the 80s. You guys suck. You don't really know what it means to be a part (laughs) of a community. Um, And they're like, you know, you really need to get your act together and be um, not thinking about money all of the time because um, that was sort of the thing back then in the 80s, right? And Mm. um, so we were trying to, my group and I were trying to prove that we could be much more valuable to society. And so we did a lot of community service and that's when I got into nonprofits. That's amazing. And then just a little bit about how that's kind of evolved and what you're working on now. Yeah, so it sort of really stuck with me um, because I really believe in the um, what it means to serve the community and how it actually helps to build your character because I'm a product of that um, and because it really sort of aligns with what my value systems are in terms of being, you know, doing right in the world, doing good in the world, um, you know, so through my own personal beliefs, as well as through the work that I'm doing, I found alignment. And so um, I was able to move into the community service realm as a full-time administrator at Occidental College as one of my first jobs in higher education. And I had the privilege of establishing their first um, community service office. And we actually tied it also to service learning which basically ties um, the learning much more deliberately through reflective practice into the community service activities and what students would gain from just doing the community service. So the idea was oftentimes people think, oh, I'm going to go and serve because I want to do good, but they don't really understand that um, there might be other kinds of effects or impacts. And without the reflection and really thinking about what it is that you're doing and why, Um, then it just becomes one of those one-offs where you feel good while you're doing it, but then you don't have a really good understanding of how impactful your service was and how it feels on the other side. And so um, I had the opportunity to be a part of that movement very, very early on, um, back now, wow, 30 plus years ago, (laughs) and um, being able to really create that kind of engagement and deliberate learning through the community service activities that we were engaging in. That's incredible. I think 
giving back is so important and not just good for your soul, but like you said, just so good to see kind of the connection of things and how one thing can have this ripple effect onto others. And I really like that you paired the learning and reflection tool with that to to make it kind of sustainable and, and make it kind of keep going. Um, could you give an example of, of something that – that you would say to a student who's maybe trying to do some sort of nonprofit work and how you would connect that and have them reflect on that and show, okay, this was a big learning tool for so many different aspects of your life. Yeah. So, um, you know, oftentimes we have a lot of students um, that come in and they want to do this because they think that it's going to be great for application purposes, right? So if you're a high school student, you think that you're going to get college credit. and Yeah, you do. Um, and right now we have a whole community service requirement for most public high schools. Um, I'm sorry I had something to do with that, but <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be very good. Um, but sometimes, you know, when the students go into those opportunities, they look at it as, as this one-off, right? Like I was saying about going and getting that credit and um, or just a number of hours that they need to check off before they actually go on to something bigger and better. So the way that I try to help the students connect this is, you know, I ask them, okay, so you're going to be volunteering in a um, a soup kitchen or at a homeless um, shelter. And um, once they finish the different activities, I ask them questions like, you know, um, so who did you see there that was sort of surprising. Who did you not expect to have be there when you walked in? What did you, what were your preconceived notions about who the homeless are or who the hungry are? And that sort of kicks off a conversation because oftentimes, you know, in these shelters um, and in the soup kitchens, you actually have whole families there now. Um, They're living out of cars and they've got young children. And so A lot of people don't have that understanding that this population is very, very similar to their own, you know, um, friends and peers in a lot of situations. And it sort of helps them to start rethinking their preconceived ideas and their biases around these um, people that they thought were X, but it really turns out that they are Y. And so... Mm -hmm. It helps them to sort of reconceive and check their biases, right? So that's number one. The second piece is is that I sort of ask a question of, you know, um, so how do we keep homelessness and hunger from continuing? I mean, the U.S. is the richest nation in the in the world, and yet we have this profound issue with hunger and homelessness with people that are living here. And, you know, especially in like Orange County, where we're one of the wealthiest, you know, counties in the country. Um, And yet, at the same time, we have all these people that are on the streets. And again, it goes back to that initial question that the people that are homeless are not just the mentally ill or those that, you know, are just um, drug addicts or whatever other preconceived ideas people might have. The majority of the people that are hungry and homeless right now are these families that are living paycheck to paycheck. And so we have these conversations around social equity 
inequity, as well as what's actually happening in terms of the economy and economics and how people are really living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, with the rent and all these other complicating issues that it's not really easy to actually make a living and that people can just be one paycheck away from being tossed out of their homes, which then causes this cycle. And it's so very difficult to get out of. So when we start putting it into that kind of context and when they really start to understand and think about it, um, then it sort of creates an aha moment. And then they're able to use those um, critical thinking skills, if you will, about sort of interrogating the issue to try to understand more about it. Um, It helps them to sort of reframe and they're able to then take that particular skill set of critical inquiry into other parts of their lives. So we have that conversation as well as a part of the subsequent reflections. That's incredible. You're, you're right. There's just so many things that you don't think about, especially if homelessness or poverty has never touched you. And there's so much to kind of dive into and really pick apart. I mean, even just being a, I'm 27, coming out of school, having student loans, what does it look like to manage a budget on your own? How much money do you have to make to actually not only pay your rent, but pay your student loans and also Mm -hmm. start a savings so that you can eventually buy a home? It's very different today than it has been in the past. Yeah. And you're somebody that's pretty woke to all of that, right? I mean- Right. So for a 27-year-old to be thinking about all of those things, I can't say that I was thinking about all those things when I was 27, <laughs> honestly. I mean, people would say, you need to be thinking about this stuff. But like, it is a very, very different kind of situation. And you know what we often fail to recognize is that we're all just maybe one, maybe two paychecks away from a different kind of a lifestyle than we're right. accustomed to. And I think that once we bring that reality to life for the students, and then we actually also, depending on the age of the students, we ask them to have conversations with their parents. I mean, I've done this with as young as fourth graders to have them talk to their parents about, you know, um, topics like who their heroes are and to talk about the poverty piece. I mean, every single topic. And you'd be amazed at what even fourth graders are able to come back with in relation to this because they've had a little bit more conversation with their parents because they see it, right? They see what their parents are doing. Oftentimes, you know, in certain communities, they're holding two, three jobs just to make things work. And the kids are having to do the babysitting of their younger siblings in order to be able to the family to function. So it's real. And um, giving them language and an understanding around this stuff then helps them to be better prepared and to be more like you, to be able to say later on in life when they do have steady jobs, et cetera, to be able to say, yeah, I have to really look at all of these different components because I want to continue on the stream that I'm on and not necessarily fall out um, just because of life circumstances or, you know, just stuff that happens. Um, So. Right. Oh, gosh, I really, really love that. And I like that you spoke to the alignment that you found within yourself. I'm sure that some of your students, most of them, I bet, are feeling kind of like they find something that's really beyond them. And I think there's something so special about being a part of something that reaches outside of yourself where you're turning yourself outward instead of kind of focusing inward and nonprofits give us that sensation and they give us that feeling and 
and because it's true. It, that's what yeah. we're doing. We're, we're focused on helping other people. But with that being said, I think you spoke to the management piece that we need to manage ourselves. We need to manage our own resources. We need to manage um, all the things that fall under the resources category, time, money, your team, people. Um, and as we get older and and you know more more responsibility we have more resources to manage and uh, i can't wait to dive into that with you too i wanted to start in that regard with with grants because i think under the resources tab especially for nonprofits nonprofits you're taking the money and the and the funds that you're receiving and you're really turning that around and turning that into something so mm-hmm. grant writing is so important. And I don't think a lot of people really understand it. They don't know what it is. So could you um, first start off by just explaining what grants are and kind of how you see, I guess, and commenting on just how you see that component in nonprofits, that money component being so important just to be a good steward of that? Sure. So um, it, that's a huge question, first off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it's okay. High level. So, yes, high level. So <laughs> grants, um, so in general, a lot of nonprofits, um, first off, have a diversified funding stream. Now, if they don't have a diversified funding stream, meaning that they've got a variety of different ways that they're bringing in funds, resources to be able to do the work that they're doing to pay for all of the services that they're providing and for their staff and everything else, then um, they often become very reliant on external funding, which is the grants component. So grants are um, typically uh, can be secured from foundations and private corporations. Um, So people have heard about the Gates Foundation or um, maybe the Ford Foundation, et cetera. Those kinds of entities have given traditionally a lot of monies to nonprofits uh, for a variety of different kinds of issues. Um, And they are often led by corporate execs who then, you know, put money into a private 501c3 foundation because they've earned billions like Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. And then so they want to turn that around into um, something that's good for the community. Um, so a lot of foundations in, are established that way because the wealthy, if they were to hold on to all of that money, they would have to get taxed really, really, really heavily. And so they would prefer that it didn't go to the government. They want to give to the community and to the causes that they want to give to. And that's why they set up these foundations. So that's a little sidebar there. Um, And then there are public grants. So um, you've got things like the National Science Foundation and the National Institutes of Health, the the CDC. Um, And so those are all entities that actually give funding through the use of our tax dollars. So um, while Bill and Melinda Gates wants to, you know, own how they actually give money, we as taxpayers some of our monies go towards the, um, the community service and the service um, and research areas that the government is uh, choosing to also invest in. So this is all legislated um, and it goes in front of Congress and then people actually um, operate to um, run grant opportunities or to run um, requests for applications and competitions so that people can then apply to be able to get these grants. So um, in that, there is a proposal process. 
um, and people have to write the proposals, state what it is that they're trying to actually get the monies for, make it as compelling as possible, and how it's going to meet numerous different needs, all tied to what those foundations, corporations, or the public um, sector grant-making entities want to um, be able to make an impact on. Um, and if it aligns, then you can get anywhere from you know $5,000 up to millions and millions of dollars, um, depending on the kinds of relationships as well as the quality of the proposals that you're actually implementing. So that's sort of a high medium view of what grants are and how they're sort of set up. That's great. And I was going to ask you how one can go about writing them, but you kind of you kind of spoke to that. Are there any resources that you recommend for someone who's really interested in learning grant writing or maybe they're a young nonprofit and they believe that they have something that they want to propose in order to get a grant? Where's a good place for them to start just to learn? Yeah. So um, first off, there are a lot of entities that will say that they're going to teach you how to write grants and they will ask you to pay anywhere from $500 up to two, three, four, five thousand dollars um, Do not go with any of those entities. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are money-making operations and you don't need them. There wow. are a lot of free resources. Okay. Um, the kinds of free resources that are available are if you're in Orange County, for example, there is an organization called One OC. And what they do is they help nonprofits to be able to establish the nonprofit organization and to be able to make it more sophisticated or to be able to grow it, whatever your goal is. And they will help you with everything from grant writing and professional development all the way to um, board management, getting more board members, and um, even fiscal you know, sponsorship and fiscal uh, back-end work. So there's a resource called 1OC, and you can find them on 1OC.org, um, and that's one O-N-E-O-C.org. Um, and that organization will help nonprofits, you know, startups as well as really established nonprofits. Um, and then there's also the foundationcenter.org, um, which actually just recently merged with guidestar.org. Uh, and um, I think their name now is called Candid. Um, but if you, if you still look up foundationcenter.org, they have a resource there that teaches you how to write grants. Um, and you can just go through their webinars, again, all for free, and be able to download those resources and be able to then um, uh, learn how to learn the basics around the grant writing. And then, of course, there's a lot of free online um, just resources that people have put up uh, through universities and colleges. And so I would look at those first versus, again, paying somebody else. Um, and then again, in California, or actually in um, Orange County, you have um, Cal State Fullerton that provides a nonprofit um, uh, training program every summer, I think, still. Um, and through that program for like $100 or maybe $80 for the entire thing, you can actually go and learn all of this stuff as well. And they have specific grant writing sessions, et cetera. I want to sign up for that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been a long time since I've like really dove into working at nonprofits, really uh, 
like spending a lot of time with nonprofits, mm-hmm. but that would be so incredible. Oh my gosh. And how much do we love Jeannie for giving us all these resources? <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for clarifying about the programs that'll ask you to spend a lot of money and things. A lot of a lot of us just don't know. And when we yeah. go out there, we think, oh, that makes sense. I guess I need to pay this money. But it's so wonderful that there's programs out there that are affordable. And that's the greatest part about the internet, right? That technology yeah. has given us education at our fingertips. It's Absolutely. Basically an open university all the time. It is. Well, that actually, you know, uh, on the open university, if you actually also go to um, Coursera or, oh. yeah, so if, if that's spelled C-O-U-R-E, let's see, C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A, Coursera, um, they are a for-profit, but they are operated by universities. And um, basically, you've got like MIT and Harvard and, you know, all these different organizations um, that are putting up free courses just about on every topic you could possibly imagine. And they're free. And you get all of the materials that are being taught by all of these, you know, world-renowned experts, as well as faculty that are teaching at these world-renowned universities and colleges. Um, And it's free to you. You get to take those classes and you can learn all of the materials. If you do a search in there for just about any topic, including grant writing or fund development, things will pop up and you could take the, you could get the materials, take the class, again, all for free and have that at your fingertips at all times. So I think things like that, again, really make a huge difference in terms of being able to learn. And the way that they have it set up is like a regular, like 15 week course. And you go in and listen to the webinars, you do the homework, et cetera. The only reason why you would have to pay is if you want it a certificate, and then you would pay a, a nominal fee actually to just get the certificate after you finish a number of courses. That's so great. Thank you for bringing that up. I always say if you think you're done learning, even even if you've gone through school, if you think you're done learning when you get that diploma, oh my goodness, you are you're going to miss out on so much because there's just so much information out there and there's so many great resources now like Coursera where you can you can really develop the skills that you want to be in the career that makes you feel like you said, aligned and balanced and and happy. And we take all of our education uh, that we've gotten, no matter what field we studied, maybe initially, we can push that into where we're going. But just the fact that you can get all these courses for free online and build on that foundation is so cool. So I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, because of the kind of world that we're living in, um, everything is changing so very Mm -hmm. quickly, right? So Back many, many years ago, you know, we would talk about how the cycles of change happen every 30 years. And we would point to fashion as being the, the, the bellwether for that because fashion, everything comes back after 30 years, bell right. bottoms, high rise, you know, all of those kinds of things. But now it's actually um, faster because of technology, because of artificial intelligence. So that's actually been truncated, you know, for the technology world to like every two or three years, which means that the whole social fabric of change is happening somewhere around every five to 10 years, which is incredibly short. But because of that, we have to constantly be learning 
organism. So if we are not constantly learning and really engaged in that learning and taking responsibility for that learning, um, it's going to be really hard to survive in a constantly changing environment. And so I think right now is in some ways very unique because of the, 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 um, the speed with which everything is actually changing. But um, it's a tremendous opportunity to also turn it into something that we want, you know, a future that we want that's actually tangible. We don't have to wait anymore for 30 years for something to change, for a system to change. I think right now, all of us, you know, whether we're young or old, we have the opportunity to actually make significant change and significant progress, align it with our mission and purpose in life and all of the skill sets that we actually bring because of our various different experiences and make a, you know, a, a completely different kind of environment and world for ourselves. But it's up for us to learn how to do it and to be able to take that challenge on and you know, just put a stake in the ground and go for it. Yes. That is so inspiring. The, you have the power, everyone listening. You have the power and you have the voice. This is the first time I think ever that your voice has been able to been to be heard around the world yep. just by the click of a button. Yep. How incredible is that? And you can see that as a scary or negative thing. I know some people really see technology in this negative way, but really, oh my gosh, you're power to affect positive change is at your fingertips. Yeah. That is incredible. Speaking of having the power to get in there and make a change, if someone's interested in starting a nonprofit, you've given us so many great resources already, but what's your one key piece of advice for kind of lifting off the ground in that zero to one phase? What would you say is a must do, do not miss this step, yeah, so um, I recently started my own nonprofit. Um, I've worked with nonprofits a lot, um, but I had not, you know, actually started one from the ground up, right? So, um, well, I take that back. I, I worked with others to actually help set up a lot of nonprofits, um, but I didn't do the heavy lifting all by myself. This last time I did the heavy lifting all by myself. Um, <laughs> so I think that that you know, therein lies the one thing that you should actually do, which is it's a whole lot easier if you've got a team that is actually mm -hmm. helping you to do that lift. Um, nonprofits and setting up a nonprofits is actually no different than a business. A nonprofit is a business, um, except that nonprofits take all of the funding that's coming in and they're not trying to create or share profit across shareholders, which is the business model. They're actually trying to use that profit to support the activities of the organization so that it can do community good. So there is no distinction between a business and a nonprofit from the perspective of operations. Um, so you want to establish it as you would any startup business, if you will. So right now we've got a lot of conversations happening around entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial ventures, et cetera. All of those things are established with teams. And the reason why we do it in teams is because you have to create a combination of individuals with varied skill sets that complement one another in establishing that, that um, entity in a way that it's going to be successful. So the foundation of establishing any organizational venture is so incredibly important. So having the right team members be a part of that 
and helping you to sort of conceive the directions that you want to go, helping to anticipate what some of the pitfalls are, helping to bring the various different skill sets that you need in order to be able to make your nonprofit you know, successful is really critical. So I would absolutely emphasize the team nature of establishing a nonprofit. Um, and if I could add a 1B, I would also say, you know, and this is sort of a foregone conclusion in my mind, but if you're going to go to the effort of actually establishing a nonprofit, do it because you're truly, absolutely passionate about it. It's a whole lot of work. And if you talk to any entrepreneur in terms of the business side, um, you know, as a typical, you know, for-profit business, or if you looked at it from a nonprofit business perspective, the commonality that keeps you motivated and keeps you going is because you believe in it. You believe in what you're bringing to the world. You believe what you're bringing to the world in terms of a product or a service, whatever the case might be. Again, whether it's for profit or nonprofit, and um, really understanding and having um, that that internal intrinsic motivation to bring that to light is so incredibly critical. And you want all of your team members to have that too. So that's why I would say that that's your 1A and 1B in terms of making sure that that's the one thing that you have in place. Everything else will come if you have that piece in place. Yeah. Oh, that was perfect. And those two things kind of spin off each other. So when you have that great team and you have that same passion for the why of your business and things get tough, you go back to that great team. And then when things get maybe tough there, you go back to that why and they kind of hold each other up too. Yep. That's, that was perfect. I love that answer. And Speaking of the team and the systems, you kind of mentioned the word systems before. I'm a big systems gal, so I think if you have good systems in place, it kind of keeps all the cogs spinning. What is your biggest piece of advice for building a really solid system and then managing a team within that? Yeah, um, I think that uh, establishing a really good system, you need to look at and understand exactly what it is that your organization needs. So again, whether you're a nonprofit or a business, you want to make sure that you have the basic operational systems, um, you know, payroll, those kinds of things. And so you have to figure out where are you going to get that piece met. Um, But in terms of the other foundational systems, it's a little organic, right? When you're first starting up, you want to sort of figure out what are the most critical things that you need in order to be able to get to version one, right? So beta one. Um, And the way that I started my nonprofit, um, I have a vision to actually establish it as a full-blown adult daycare program for disabled adults um, starting when they are about 21, actually a little bit younger than that, um, probably around 16 all the way through to whatever age. Um, and th- that's because there is a particular need in the community. And, you know, my son is disabled. He's going to be 21 and he's going to be out of the system, basically, in terms of public um, supports and uh, f- through schools. And so I needed a place for him. So you want to make sure that your foundations are meeting a very particular need. So I looked at what is it that is actually needed in the community from my own personal experience and my own personal perspective. Then I partnered with another organization that might be able to provide me with that. So in my case, it was 
the facility that I needed in order to just get this going at a basic level. So I have the program set up as a one-day program on Saturdays, and my point is to actually expand it to a a six-day-a-week program um, and to be able to have it as a full-service adult daycare program, both drop-in as well as regulars, and to be able to meet that need that's constant for folks like me that are working and have a child that is profoundly disabled. We need places of care that are that we can trust. So I'm using all of the things that I have in my life and what I know to be able to try to build something up that is foundationally secure. And of course, then the staffing is really critical. You have to have people that you can trust and you have to be able to build a team, again, that believes in that mission. So I'm constantly on the lookout for other people who are like-minded and who have the same values as I do in relation to this work, because that passion that comes from within, it's not something that I can actually grow in a person necessarily, like from scratch. It's either there or it's not. So you have to find those like-minded individuals and create those partnerships and understand how you can then network that by having each of us reach out and then reach another person, right? So you continue to grow that network so that you have the foundation and supports. So there isn't, you know, like one particular way that you would go about building the system. I would say your system really needs to meet the needs of what you're trying to do in that beta one, that first phase, and then the second phase and the third phase. So thinking systemically means you have an understanding at every step what it is that you actually require, have a good understanding of what the best resources are and the best models are, and then you try and test those out. So I like to use an entrepreneurial model in the sense of, you know, um, if you're going to try something, try it, go full hog and try it. But if it doesn't work, be ready to abandon it, right? Because there's no point in sticking with something that's not working. Um, and that's something that often happens in big organizations. People invest so much, they don't want to give up on something that's just not working. Yes. Um, and so when you're a small nonprofit or a small business, you can be nimble. And that's one of the base, I mean, that's one of the most uh, fantastic things is, is that you just test it, try it. If you're going to fail, fail fast. If you're going to succeed, succeed fast and then build upon that. Um, but you want to be able to do it in that mindset. That's great. Yes, exactly. Reflect and move on quickly. And we call that the sunken cost fallacy, right? Like, oh, I've been waiting in this line for 40 minutes. I'm not going to get out of this line now. But right. <laughs> if something's not working, man, I mean, get out of line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's so, so many funny. different ways to be able to you know, do that these days. We don't have to be stuck in the rut, right? Because the ruts are of our own making in some ways because we're being complicit and we're not, you know, challenging the status quo because we don't want to rock the boat. Like, okay, I'm stuck in this line for 40 minutes and, you know, you're looking around and nobody's doing anything. We're just sort of these automatons <laughs> that are still standing in line. We're right. like, yeah, why? <laughs> right, Why? And I love that you said just be nimble, be flexible. If you're young, if you're growing, even even if you get to a point where you're a larger business, I mean, you still need – I mean, business or nonprofit, they are one and the same in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get to a point where something's just not working and you need to always be 
challenging yourself. How can I make this better? How can I automate this process? How can I get faster? And I like that you – every question I had while you were talking, you just kept answering them and answering them. (laughs) You just covered every point. But yes, be fast. Be be mobile in your – in your systems, in your processes, and constantly reflect on them. So you, you're you just hitting every, <laughs> every point. I love well, that's it. That's good. Um, One other thing that I would actually yeah. add to that is, you know, if you look at um, corporations like Nike, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love innovation. And um, so my whole dissertation research and everything was around leadership change and innovations in higher education. So just to, you know, point of fact, higher education is like the biggest, um, most immobile organization that you could possibly find on the planet at this point in time. <laughs> we do <laughs> not like to change, you know, we do our thing day in, day out. Um, and we don't necessarily want to change, even though higher ed produces a lot of the research that tells us that we do need to change, right? Organizationally as people, all of that. So it's sort of an oxymoron. So, um, but the thing is, it's like, if you look at an, a corporation like Nike, and um, their whole slogan of just do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's very simple, but everybody can buy into it and they can see how they can relate to that slogan, which is so critical. You're in marketing, so you get that whole whole spin. The other right. part of it is, is that Nike has a tremendous research division and their whole thing is they're going to prove something and try to fail as fast as they possibly can. That's their goal. And they look at it from every angle, trying to make it fail. But what they're really trying to do is to see what's going to truly stick and work for the long haul. But by pushing on things to see how it's going to fail and creating that space in that one research arena to be able to look at um, all of the different things that might cause something to fail, they create some of the best products as a result of that. And so those organizations that have those kinds of units to help speed up innovation and drive from within are the ones that are continuing to last and be tremendously successful. And so, you know, as nonprofits, we need to do the same. We can't get stuck. We have to constantly be thinking about how do we actually meet, meet these needs. And, you know, there's an organization in San Diego that I've been a consultant for for a long time now. And um, their whole thing is about helping mothers um, be um, more successful as mothers. Um, and they look at how can we help support them, make sure that they have the health. How did we help them create micro enterprises? How do we keep them out of poverty? Or, you know, if they're in poverty, how do we get them out of poverty? Um, but it's all about mothers and about making sure that the mothers are being taken care of. Why? Because the mothers are raising the children that are going to go out and make the changes in society. So they want to begin right. at the very, very lowest, you know, common denominator, if you will. And um, they do this around the world. And they have all different ways that they approach this from microeconomic training to business training to um, helping mothers just know how to do um, breastfeeding. So they cover the entire gamut. And but their single mission is to help mothers be successful. And they're so focused. That's right. And yet right. they have so many different strategies to be able to approach that. So that that's my point about being really true to your purpose as a nonprofit, 
but at the same time being nimble enough to say, we need to try this, we need to try that, we need to try all these different things, depending on the communities in which we're working in, or the types of individuals that we might be wanting to serve, and be willing to test out and try new things. Because again, we're living in an ever changing environment. And it's so incredibly critical to maintain that, that ability to be nimble in being responsive. That's so great. I have two points to add to that. I was reading this book. I finished it, but it's called Atomic Habits. And he was speaking to change. A lot of people think of change and making a change as making these grand gestures to get you to this end goal. But change can come in the form of a 1%. And he was talking about the cyclist team – of course, now I can't remember which one, but uh-huh. it's a, it's a cyclist team that was really low on numbers and they just weren't performing, weren't performing. And then they brought on this research team and their focus was changing, was to move forward or to improve yep. by 1% yep. in, in so many different ways. So the bikes, mm-hmm. how do you get them to go 1% faster? Mm-hmm. How do you get their muscles to work? to get them to pedal and to perform 1% better. Yeah. And they ended up winning for and and getting to the spot of of championship just so quickly by the 1%. Yeah. And then my second point to that is just creating the space to even do that research and development. Like yep. you said, just having people that that is what they do or carving out some time for yourself. And I think this happens with nonprofit. Yeah. We, we run so lean that then we don't give ourselves or our team the space to innovate. Yep. And that has to be part of – that has to be a piece of the puzzle or, yeah. or you're just not going to – you can have exponential growth if you give yourself that space. Yeah. It's a it's a flywheel. Well, that is a whole nother part of the conversation <laughs> that we probably don't have time to get into. But no, there's a you concept. Have to come back. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a concept called absorptive capacity um, that speaks exactly to that. And basically what you're you were just talking about is this idea of growth and growth mindset. Um, which is also a huge concept in education right now. But this thing of absorptive capacity, which actually is a business concept, is you know whether or not you actually have created the space in your mind and in time to be able to deal with these other kinds of questions in order to inform the rest of the work that you're doing. And oftentimes we live such busy lives that we don't really think about or reflect on the next pieces or even what we have done. Um, And when we do that, we just go back to our, you know, same old, same old, because that's how our brains are actually wired. But um, yeah, I could talk about that piece of it ad nauseum for sure, because it was really (laughs) a whole lot of critical and really interesting um, neurological research. So brain research that tells us that um, that's not a way to actually function. So this whole thing around change management, making micro changes is so incredibly critical to building new synapses in our brains and rewiring basically um, ourselves so that we can take on these new concepts and habits, et cetera. So yeah, that would be a really fun conversation. Oh my gosh. I love that. You said I could talk to it ad nauseum and I'm like, I don't know how long she would have to talk for me 
to get bored of that, <laughs> of that conversation. I am so obsessed with these things. But I think that's that's the fun part about yeah. innovation and about creative strategy and and building something that you're really passionate about. You just get so excited to talk about it. Yeah. And my goodness, Jeannie, I am so glad you came on the show. And for everyone listening, this is the power of following your gut because I saw Jeannie and she had the coolest nails I have ever seen. <laughs> and she just had the coolest outfit. And I don't know, there was just something I was like, I need to talk to her. And I, I just recently met you. And for some reason, I just felt like, oh my gosh, I just need to talk to her. I don't know why. And we started chatting and we found we had so much in common just in terms yep. of interest and and kind of our, our value system and oh my gosh we we kept getting distracted because we were volunteering we were trying to do something <laughs> but I just kept going back to her wanting to talk to her more because your perspective is so incredible and I I just want to thank you again for coming on the show and hopefully you can come back again and we can talk about about some more fun things. So before we go, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to let everyone know where they can find you, how they can find out more information about the nonprofit that you spoke about that you've just started. Yeah. So the best way to find me actually is on LinkedIn. So if you look for Jeannie Kim, um, there might be a few of us, but I'm at Riverside um, Community College District. And so you can find me there or um, on the rejoicecenterinc.org. Uh, that's my nonprofit. And so there's information there about me as well and some contact uh, information as well. Great. And I'll link that in the show notes. Jeannie Kim, it's J-E-A-N-N-I-E. And then Kim is K-I-M. And I will just put a little link to Jeannie's LinkedIn in the show notes on starjerrys.com backslash the creative strategist. So you guys can can kind of connect with Jeannie. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you again. You're welcome. Holy moly, that conversation with Jeannie was so inspiring. If you all don't know the gravity of what you just heard, I just want to say this one more time, but Jeannie is a highly respected consultant, expert, speaker in her field, and the information that she gave us was so invaluable. If you are looking to create a nonprofit or you see a need or you want to just impact the world in a, in a big and positive way, take the information that Jeannie provided Look at those resources and tools that she gave us all today and do what she said and put a stake in the ground and just go for it. You have the power. You have the capability. You have the tools to affect change, to influence major change, everyone. And that is such a mighty thing. So I am just so excited to see what you all do with this. Please reach out if you have any questions. Let us know if she inspired you today. I know she inspired me. And, and let's start a conversation about it. Thank you for listening to The Creative Strategist. Head over to starjerrys.com backslash The Creative Strategist for notes on today's episode information about upcoming events, or to nominate a guest for the show. Don't forget to leave a review and share this podcast with a friend or colleague. Thanks again for hitting play. See you next time, creative strategist.